This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. I'm Deborah Fitzgerald, and today I'm talking with Don Niles. Don is the president of the board of Peninsula Pride Farms, and that's a farmer-led organization that formed about four years ago to meet water quality challenges specifically posed by agriculture. Welcome to coming on to the program, Don. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate it. Now, it's kind of weird that we're talking about farming because it's about, I don't know, four degrees out right now. Uh, there's 17 below on Monday morning when I got up. <laughs> was it? Now, you're located. Get, get, tell me a little bit about yourself, Don, um, and, and what you do. Sure. Um, I actually grew up in the non-agricultural world in the um, suburbs of Milwaukee, um, and I attended veterinary school at the University of Minnesota, uh, where I decided that um, farm animals were would be the animals that I'd like to spend my career with. So I really enjoyed working with cows. Okay. Um, as a result of that, I started in a, a dairy practice in 1983, moved to Casco, Wisconsin as a practicing veterinarian, um, and enjoyed 17 wonderful years there working with the farms and um, the cattle in Kewanee County. Um, I was gone for three years to Tulare, California, hmm. and then came back in 2001 to build a dairy farm with my best friend and um, best client from practice, John Pagel. Okay. Uh, we built Dairy Dreams together in the northern part of Kewanee County, and that's where I've been ever since. Okay. And so with dairy farming, it's not like, uh, do, you, do you also farm row crops in addition to having dairy? Uh, actually, Dairy Dreams is a little bit unique in that um, we don't own any cropland ourselves. Huh. Uh, the, the Pagel family, our partner family, owns a large amount of farmland around Dairy Dreams. Uh, so we'll get a little over half of our forage. Uh, from the Pagel-owned land, our partner's land, mm-hmm. and we'll get about the almost the other half from cooperating farms of many sizes and types around Dairy Dreams. Okay. Now, so I heard that uh, when you own livestock, there is never a single day off. Is that true? Oh, that's true. They're, <laughs> um, they're living, breathing, wonderful creatures, um, and the, I think the trick of being a great dairy farmer is to know what their needs are and take care of them and then get out of their way and let them be cows. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about Peninsula Pride Farms. It's not it, it's not a terribly old organization. It's four years old. It's led by a group of farmer, farmers. How many farmers and how did it come together? Well, it, it's um, we started out with 43 farmers uh, back in, nine, er, in 2016. I'm sorry, 2016. And um got together just as a group of both crop and dairy farmers and some um, uh, supporting agricultural type businesses, feed mills, um, bankers, things of that nature. And we just sat down and, and looked at the situation here in the peninsula. Uh, here in Door and Kewanee County, we have some of the absolute perfect conditions for dairy cattle. Uh, cows don't like the hot, they like cool. Okay. Uh, so the cool breezes off the lake and the bay are perfect. The relatively low topography allows for um, uh, good wind flow and comfortable cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the karst um, bedrock that uh, most of our peninsula rests over uh, can be a real challenge, on the other hand, um, for water quality, um, not contaminating um, the aquifers, mm-hmm. and um, having systems on top of the ground 
that don't create problems underneath the ground. So we wanted to um, get together as a group of farmers and, and say we knew that there were better ideas out there for how to, how to improve our practices, um, but we didn't want all 43 of us try to uh, figure it out ourselves. We oh, work sure. collaboratively with each other mm-hmm. and with other groups like ours and um, also other agencies like the, the county land department, mm-hmm. um, the DNR, the um, Discovery Farms. Okay. Uh, tap into the knowledge that was out there on different farming techniques to um, up our game as, as quickly as we possibly could. Okay. Uh, for the greatest benefit. And so did uh, did you tap those agencies? They're the ones who normally have uh, the, the cost share monies and the programs and work with agricultural producers. Um, did you tap them for, you know, some knowledge in getting started? Or why did you feel like a farmer-led organization was necessary when programs like that were already available? Well, that's a great question. And um, there, there are cost share sources available uh, for farmers, but many of them are a little bit more constraining in um, how creative you're allowed to be, um, mm-hmm. how ambitious you want to be in some of the changes you're making. Um, and, and they're a little bit more bureaucratic than we felt a group of, of enthusiastic, uh, energized farmers could do together okay. uh, built on our own energy. So um, our approach was to, number one, uh, make our membership a dues-paying membership. Mm-hmm. So we have some funds to pay for things like um, cost share. Um, number two, we were very lucky in that ATCAP, the State Department of Agriculture, had um, recently started a program to support farmer-led uh, watershed initiatives such oh. as ours. Uh, so they were there for us, and we were one of the one of the first groups to um, work with them. Um, another group near Madison, Yahara Pride Farms, was uh, well ahead of us, and they were they've been great mentors to us ever since. Mm-hmm. But we worked with ATCAP, and they had funding specifically available. And the funding was designed to um, to support innovation, mm-hmm. reduce some of the risks of t- trying new farming practices, and then kind of get out of our way and let us keep the records on what we were doing and, and what results we were having and let us be creative among ourselves. And it, it was the perfect program for the perfect group at the perfect time because hmm. we, we wanted to try new things and they were offering us an ability to help do that. Okay. So did you have specific things that you wanted to try and achieve right off the bat? Well, I think we all knew that um, it was not desirable in the fall to have all the open ground after corn harvest. Um, so we get the winter rains and the spring melt off, and, and you could see the, um, the brown water just kind of working its way into the rivers, and a lot of that was our soil uh, that was being washed away. Um, and you can't grow soil back. You can't grow your soil back. Right. When it's lost, it's lost. And um, so we went back to some techniques like um, like uh, cover crops mm-hmm. and strip tillage and things that would allow us to keep the, the ground in place um, and also at the same time make our soil healthier because of the, um, the living uh, plant structures in the, in the ground year-round. Okay. So our, our first focus was on cover cropping. Okay. So what kinds of cover crops and planting them in between? Like when you're planting, how, how does that work? Well, it's... The interesting thing is, um, we started out in a lot of places with a one variety cover crop, hmm. um, but we came to find that the more different varieties you use in your cover crop, the better results you can have. Okay. Uh, if, if, you, if you think that if you garden, for example, and, and you look at um, plants or weeds or desirable plants growing in your garden, uh, they all have different kind of weed patterns and, and weed coverage. Uh, so if we have five different cover crops in one field, uh, we've got five different shaped root systems and um, the chemistry of each 
plant is working a little bit differently. So we get more of a of a combined benefit to tie, tie the soil together than we will with just um, one thing, such as maybe wheat growing in there. Okay. And are you Goodbye. able to use those cover crops for, like, silage or for anything else for the animals? Um, in some cases, you can. Okay. Um, and and triticale would be a classic example of, of something that's used as part of a crop rotation um, to keep something growing in the soil around the, the um cycle mm-hmm. um on other cover crops are actually just um used until we can establish the permanent crop or in some cases um growing into a, a standing uh field of corn mm. uh, so that we've got some protection there when the corn is harvested okay so then you have cover crops growing in corn and soybean as well uh typically corn would be the most common place where we would have soybeans yet but um there's far more corn growing here than soybeans. Okay, so it helps you to maintain soil structure and then also the runoff of, what, phosphorus into surface water or nitrogen from fertilizers into the groundwater. Is is that also aided by cover crops? Absolutely, um, and all through different mechanisms that, that kind of work together. Okay. Um, with the, the phosphorus example, um, phosphorus is necessary uh, for all living things mm-hmm. uh, to consume, Keep vital functions going, including cows. Um, but the problem is, if we um, use the phosphorus as a fertilizer in our soil, um, and and that runs off, it also becomes fertilizer in the uh, the rivers and leads to algae blooms and, and things like that. So phosphorus is a is a sticky molecule, mm. and it'll it'll stick to the um, the soil. Uh, so if the soil washes away from not being protected, big rainstorm, it'll wash the phosphorus with it and get into the, the rivers. On, on the other hand, uh, nitrogen is a pretty slippery atom. Hmm. And nitrogen will, um, if allowed to, will kind of slide through the soil. And um, if it's not trapped up in the soil, it can get down into the groundwater uh, because nothing slowed its progress down. Uh, in that case, the cover crop um, gives us the advantage of having the, the living cover crop take up the nitrogen in its root system because it needs the nitrogen to grow. Hmm. Um, but then when you plant your permanent crop in that field, uh, the nitrogen contained in the cover crop is now available for the, the new crop that you're planting. So it's a it's really a nice system. Okay. So now how many acres do you have planted in cover crops, would you say, since you started? Um, it's been increasing every year. This year we've got a little over 18,000 acres in our membership hmm. planted in cover crops. Wow. That's, uh, that's okay. uh, about a fourfold difference from uh, the beginning. And I'd also like to point out that most of these acres, these 18,000 acres, have not been cost-shared. Oh, really? Okay. No, the the thing we use our cost-share for is to teach and encourage new practices because the first time you try something, whether it be farming or any other walk of life, the first time you try something, it can be challenging and risky because you might be spending money to do something different with no better results, and and that's a a loss Mm -hmm. for business. So um, we use the cost-share to pay for the cost of, say, the cover crop seed or an equipment that might be needed to, um, to plant the seed. Okay. And that cost share allows the farmer who's trying that new practice uh, to reduce his risk. Okay. What we find with our members is after they get that technique down, they tend to do it on and on themselves year after year. Then they use the cost sharing for the next new thing that they haven't tried yet. Okay. So, and then the cost share, um, you, it, it's, it's not, they don't have to fill out a lot of forms or how, how does that work? I mean, when you're doing it through a government program, there's, there's a lot of, I would imagine, paperwork to do. Is it similar with your organization? 
it's night and day difference, mm. um, and no no criticism intended of the uh, well, sure. the, the professionals in the um, in regulatory. But in our case, this is farmers working with farmers. We keep this as minimal on the bookwork end as possible, so we can get out there and take advantage of the the weather and not be sitting in the office trying to to do our paperwork before we get our cropping done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's minimal um, stress. Uh, we simply have the um, landowner. The member uh, tell us how many acres he has and the different practices that we offer cost sharing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tally that up and um, we we pay up to fifteen hundred dollars um, in cost share. Mm-hmm. Each member that's up to thirty dollars an acre, and that actually makes a very nice return. Our, our smaller farm members uh, pay a lower dues, so they can actually um, multiply their their dues money many times over in cost share. The larger farms pay a little bit higher dues. Um, but still get a nice nice return on um, using the uh, cost here to its fullest extent. Okay. So you have 18,000 acres about in cover crops um, now, and that's stabilizing the soil, and it's preventing some of the nutrient loading in um, surface water as well as probably groundwater. How do you know it's working? Well, that's a great question. Um, the, the ability to measure the phosphorus flow off a field mm-hmm. is a very sophisticated research project. Uh, so we don't set out to do research projects in each of our members' fields. That would be um, impractical and logistically impossible. But what we do is we work with places like Discovery Farms um, here in, in our local area, mm-hmm. uh, the UW system, um, NRCS, the National um, Agriculture Research Source Service, and we look at what they've done, where they've done this careful research to show that with this type of soil and this type of topography, this practice is going to reduce your phosphorus runoff by 18 pounds an acre. And we'll use those values that are established in rock-solid research mm-hmm. as our estimates for our different conditions as to um, what we're saving from each field with each practice. So okay. we, apply, we apply their scientifically-based number to our actual acres number. Okay, so then they have the models already developed, and you're basically plugging in the numbers that you've got and with the practices that you have here. Is that kind Absolutely. of a simple yeah. way to put it? Absolutely. Okay, and so and so that analysis, and, and you've done some of that analysis already? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, actually, we, we um, are very proud. We've finally been around long enough and um, gotten organized enough to um, work with one of our, our most critical partners, that would be the Nature Conservancy, okay. uh, national or actually worldwide, um, highly respected um, environmental group um, who's been very supportive of what we're doing out here. And one of the many, th- many things they offer us besides just um, funding support for our practices is uh, some help with the analysis and the um, bookkeeping. Mm. So. This year, um, we finally have the results put together for 2019. Okay. Um, and uh, through Nature Conservancy, so we now have numbers that are tracking each year, so we can compare our, our progress as we go. So we okay. just released the numbers for 2019, and uh, before too long, we'll have the numbers for 2020 put together also. Okay. So you're starting to build your database, and that will begin in 2019 with 2019 numbers. That's correct. Okay. So now I read that every pound of phosphorus that reaches a stream or lake can potentially feed 500 pounds of algae. That's a lot of algae that one pound of phosphorus can um, produce. So have you... That's correct. Yeah. So do you have have any numbers in terms of how much phosphorus you may have prevented from 
um, getting into surface waters? Sure, we can we can parse that um, several different ways. Okay. Uh, one thing that I mentioned is our organization is made up of um, dairy farmers, uh, crop farmers, um, uh, people growing corn, people growing uh, things like corn, soybean, winter wheat um, schedule. Mm-hmm. So if we break those systems down from uh, dairy application alone, uh, we've got a potential soil erosion reduction of 326 tons. For 2019. Wow. Add, add to that, the corn fields would be another 958 tons, and the corn, soybean, winter wheat would be another 885 tons. Okay. So almost 2,000 tons of um, prevented soil erosion. And as you mentioned, we never get our soil back. So that's a huge um, value to us as farmers. Right. And you don't know how much of that is actually getting into the surface water as well. The soil. Uh, that's correct. We don't, yeah. yeah, we don't have direct measurements on that. We're, we're basing it on um, the science that's been done ahead of us right. uh, for these different practices. Okay. So it sounds like you guys are doing, uh, or um, I didn't mean just you guys, you're, you could be male and females. <laughs> you're doing some good work there. So how many more people um, do you need to get to have all of Kiwani and Southern Door County included in this? Well, that's a good question. When we first started with the 43 uh, farms, uh, we did some metrics, and basically for Kiwani and Southern Door, the area that our organization covers, um, our members represented just half the cows in, Doran, in, Southern, uh, Dor- in Southern Door in Kiwani County and hmm. just half the um, agricultural farmed acres wow. in the area. So for the startup of an organization, that, that was pretty exciting to us, is to be already half of a very highly um, sophisticated uh, dairy cow or dairy um, and agricultural community. Mm-hmm. Uh, since that time, uh, we've moved up to, uh, I believe our most recent number is 51 uh, members this year. Mm. Um, that's a new high for us. And um, that was largely came about uh, from a, a grant that the Nature Conservancy gave us this year. And it was a $10,000 grant, and they, they told us to figure out how we would like to spend it. And that's what's great about working with organizations like that. It is not very top down. Mm. So when the board of directors gave that some thought at a monthly meeting, uh, we thought this would be a good time to offer cost share to Mm non-members, people who had never been members of Peninsula Pride Farms, um, but were still farming in our our community and see if we could um, offer them cost share and uh, hopefully get them doing some of the practices that um, they're interested in doing and also get them to be members and, uh, we offered that to nine non-members, all mm-hmm. of which who took up the offer. And I'm, I'm happy and proud to say that all nine of them have become members this year of Peninsula Pride Farms. Oh, excellent. So that um, is your goal to get all of them? Do you want 100% participation? Our, our goal is to get everybody who wants to be a member to be a member. Okay. Um, farmers, as, as a rule, are um, independent people. Right. And um, some farmers like to... Um, uh, might be doing all the practices we're talking about already, but they just like to keep things uh, a little more personal, a little more private. Mm-hmm. And we can certainly uh, respect uh, that approach. Um, for all of our events we put on, like the conservation conversations and our uh, other field days and uh, meetings and things of that nature, all farmers are invited, whether they be members or not. So mm-hmm. There's not an exclusion there. Uh, we just think that some people like to be a little bit more on their own and others uh, join the organization. So if, okay. if a farmer thinks it's for them and they could benefit from membership and 
also have something to offer the membership because mm-hmm. a lot of our new members come in with ideas that we hadn't thought of before. Uh, that's a great fit. But right. uh, we don't want to press anybody who's not feeling like this is for them uh, to be members. It, it really has to be a, a voluntary, um, self-motivated thing. Okay. So now when you when you start an organization like this with, with the goal of actually trying to protect water quality, that agricultural practices may contribute, you know, to contaminating, then it in essence says, okay, we recognize as farmers that we are contributing to a diminished water quality through our practices. Was that difficult to overcome? Deborah, that was probably the most, um, what I'd call the seminal moment in our startup. Hmm. Is we were we were having a, a really good conversation as a group, as I mentioned, where we got together and discussed the idea of starting a group like this. And one of our um, one of the farmers in the audience, who's been a member since the beginning, uh, asked a question of the group in the conversation we were having, and he said, "If we do this, are we willing to admit that?" on water quality issues in the North County Peninsula, we are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a, it was a very, um, very important moment. Mm-hmm. Kind of a seminal moment because the conversation just stopped and everybody realized the, the um, potential, oh, I, I, I don't know if it were to be risk, but the, the potential um, consequences mm. of maybe putting your pride to the side and admitting that what you're doing could be causing problems and mm-hmm. could be done better. And it, it was, I think we needed that conversation to really have a successful startup because the, the consensus was after a little conversation, absolutely. And uh, then, we're the largest user, users of land on the um, on the peninsula, so certainly uh, it's logical to say that we have effects on what goes on underneath the ground. And um, we needed to accept our share of the responsibility in order to be accepted as people that are affecting change and improvement. Sure. Okay. And so the problem is identified and now you can work towards solutions. And that's basically what your group has been doing for the past four, almost going on five years now. Right. It, it took the farming community off the defensive and allowed us to um, to get energized and creative and um, make positive change. Hmm. Well, wonderful. Um, Don, thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Don, again, is uh, president of the board of Peninsula Pride Farms, which is a farmer-led organization. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.